Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. of the Lord. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun was obscured, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance, seeing these things. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this passage, I pray that you would illumine all of our minds, give us understanding. I pray that we would uh, hang on these words. I pray that we would love your words. I pray that our love for your son would increase and our understanding of his sacrifice would increase. Father, we love you. We thank you for being mindful of us, being mindful that we are just dust and having rescued us from the pit of destruction. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Gospel of Mark tells us that Jesus was, I was reading, that was from Luke 23, but the Gospel of Mark tells us that Jesus was crucified at 9 o'clock in the morning. From 9 until noon, Jesus was hanging uh, from the cross, Speaking occasionally, seven things he said from the cross. He was talking with two men who were beside him, both who were being crucified next to him. He's speaking with them, or they're they're shouting at him. Meanwhile, he's shedding his precious blood. At noon, darkness fell over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Darkness in the middle of the day. High noon to three o'clock. The sun was obscured, and it was obscured supernaturally. Calvin says that the creation was honoring God at that moment. The creation was bowing before God. He says, thus, um, the majesty of Christ was attested by the obscuration of the sun by the earthquake, by the splitting of the rocks and the rending of the veil, as if heaven and earth were rendering the homage which they owed to their creator. Heaven, the veil's torn, the rocks are splitting, right? The sun goes dark and they're all doing homage to the one who's dying on the cross. And we know that our, the creation groans, right? Awaiting for redemption. And here the creation by God's command is responding to the agony and the death of the Son of God with appropriate praises. Darkness, splitting of rocks, earthquakes, stillness. 
The sins of the world at that point are laid upon the Son of God. And the Father pours out His wrath on His beloved Son. And God causes creation to testify to that glorious and awful transaction by causing darkness to fill the land of Israel. And just at that time, just at that time, something significant was happening in the middle of the temple. The veil inside the temple ripped from top to bottom. And what veil is this talking about? It's the the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple interior. Here's the description of that from the uh, book of Exodus. This is chapter 26. You shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen. It shall be made with cherubim, the work of a skillful workman. You shall hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold, their hooks also being of gold on four sockets of silver. You shall hang up the veil under the clasps and shall bring in the ark of the testimony there within the veil. And the veil shall serve for you as a partition between the holy place and the holy of holies. You shall put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony in the Holy of Holies. And so you know from reading your Old Testament that the Holy of Holies was only to be entered into once a year by one man who, is, who had to consecrate him in a, himself in a very thorough way. And then um, he even had to consecrate himself again to exit the Holy of Holies. Right? And, and the purpose of this once-a-year ceremony was to make atonement. Make atonement for the priest and for the people of God. Leviticus says this about that. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. When they had approached the presence of the Lord and died. There's the preface to this passage about how to approach the Lord. Remembering those who approached in a way that wasn't laid out in Scripture, and they died. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, or he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Aaron shall enter the holy place with this, with a bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen tunic, and the linen undergarment shall be next to his body, and he shall be girded with the linen sash, and attired with the linen turban. These are holy garments. Then he shall bathe his body in water, then put on the clothes. He shall take from the congregation of the sons of Israel two male goats for a sin offering, and one ram for a burnt offering. Then Aaron shall offer the bull for the sin offering, which is for himself that he may make atonement for himself and for his household. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot for the Lord fell and make it a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it, to send it into the wilderness as the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself. 
and make atonement for himself and for his household, and he shall slaughter the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself. He shall take a firepan full of coals of fire from upon the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of finely ground sweet incense, and bring it inside the veil. He shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, and the cloud of incense, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the ark of the testimony. Otherwise, he will die. Moreover, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. Also in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his fingers seven times. Then he shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. He shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel and because of their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And thus he shall do for the tent of meeting which abides with them in the midst of their impurities. When he goes in to make atonement in the holy place, no one shall be in the tent of meeting until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself and for his household and for all the assembly of Israel, then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar on all the sides. With his finger he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it seven times and cleanse it. And from the impurities of the sons of Israel, consecrate it. When he finishes atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall offer the live goat. Then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And he shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness." The goat shall bear on itself all the iniquities to a solitary land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. He shall bathe his body with water in a holy place and put on his clothes. And come forth and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. Then he shall offer up and smoke the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The one who released the goat as the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body with the water. Then afterwards he shall come into the camp. But the bowl of the sin offering and the goat of the sin offering whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place shall be taken outside the camp, and they shall burn their hides, their flesh, and their refuse in the fire. Then the one who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body with water, Then afterwards he shall come into the camp. It's a lot of blood. It's a lot of slaughtering of animals. It's a lot of death. It's a lot of confessing of sins. It's a lot of being very careful. It's a lot of being afraid of the holiness of God. 
and not daring to enter into the presence of God without having consecrated, without having proclaimed to everybody who could see, I'm a sinner. I have sinned against the Lord and God is holy. And how, how, how could I possibly enter into his presence without some covering? It's all very carefully laid out, isn't it? It's all very careful. Because God is holy and is to be treated as holy by his people. But remember that veil. That veil that separated off the the very presence of God from the rest of the temple and the rest of Israel. The veil that caused a separation between the people and God. A veil that limited access to God. Right? The veil that mercifully cordoned off sinful people from a wrathful God. It was merciful. The veil that could only be entered once a year through this elaborate ritual, but it had to be repeated each year. The Apostle Paul writes about this, and and he says, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of the things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. We just read that. And so the very fact that these sacrifices had to be repeated year by year speaks to their weakness, their inability to atone for the sins of the people. And then... He reflects on the fact that in the death of Jesus, a perfect sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, a a once for all time, once for all eternity sacrifice was made. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. That's power. He sat down at the right hand of God because he's the king of heaven and earth. Right? And he died. He died. And so the rending of the veil in two points to the the unusual quality of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The unique quality of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's the fulfillment and consummation. It's the end of all sacrifices and the one sacrifice And Paul rejoices in the greatness of the sacrifice and then says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest of the house of God, let us draw near in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The 
there's so much in that verse, but the point I want you to see is that access to God, consecration and washing, the priestly intercession all come through Jesus Christ now. The veil of the temple is superfluous. It's meaningless. It's a torn, ripped to shreds veil, right? And, and because Jesus... Jesus' own flesh was torn. His blood has been shed, and that has done all that was necessary for our salvation and for all who believe in Jesus in all times. The rending of the veil in the temple when Jesus is being sacrificed encapsulates all this glorious truth. Heaven has been opened by the death of Jesus Christ and the rending of the veil. Calvin says this, he says, Thus the rending of the veil was not only an abrogation of the ceremonies which existed under the law, right? We don't have to do this year by year. Those things have come to an end. They are weak. We have a better sacrifice. And then he says, But, but was in some respects an opening of heaven that God may now invite the members of his son, listen to this, to approach him with familiarity. That is exactly what Aaron could not do. He had to go through all of that abstract ritual, all those things, wearing the linen, right? Doing all that consecration, being very careful about each step, only doing it once a year. But Jesus Christ's sacrifice makes us able to boldly approach the Father. We can go to him as a father, we can go to him in a familiar way. That's how pleased he is with that one sacrifice. That's how strong that one sacrifice is. And it shows you how weak those other sacrifices were. We can approach God with familiarity. I mean, do you, do you, does that excite you at all? Does that amaze you? Does God change? Has God changed? Is, is, he just, is he angry in the Old Testament and wrathful and holy there, but in, in the New Testament he's no longer wrathful against sin? No. The difference is Jesus Christ in the flesh, crucified. That sacrifice gives you easy access to the Father. Familiar access, like approaching your earthly father. Because of the quality, because of the grandeur, because of the excellence, because of the, the, the perfect nature of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Approach Almighty God, who is as angry against sin today as he ever was and ever will be, we can approach him in Christ with familiarity. The Almighty God, who has always existed, the thrice holy God, right? The creator of the worlds, the Alpha and the Omega. Approach him with familiarity. We'll die and just skip into his presence in Jesus Christ. That's what we will do. Like a, a five-year-old girl skipping around the yard will skip into the presence of the Lord 
And he will be well pleased with us because we have believed in his son. Do you understand the glory of this? I mean, we do not deserve this. We could never earn this by our works. We, we could never enter God's presence if Christ had not died on the cross and propitiated that wrath of the Father that we had stored up, that we had built up as high as the heavens. Right? It's glorious. I mean, what glory? You've been redeemed and clean so that you can approach God with familiarity. The, the familiarity that Adam and Eve enjoyed in the garden, walking around with God in the cool of the day, before sin ruined everything and drove them to hide themselves from this glorious, glorious Creator. But in Christ, you can walk with God in the cool of the days. That is a... That is a stupendous privilege. But never, ever, ever forget what that access cost. Right? There's, there's a tradition, or there used to be a tradition. Maybe it's a tradition that's still alive, but there used to be a tradition. Um, these were called like, um, I can't remember the type of sermon they are, but but have you ever heard a sermon where they describe the physical suffering of Jesus in great detail? Right? They talk about the nails. They talk about the fluid building up. They talk about the difficulty in breathing. They talk about the physical, right? And they try to make you sympathetic toward Jesus as like uh, he being a victim, right? This was popular 18th, 19th century. They called like blood and gory sermons or something. I can't, I can't remember, but um, you've probably heard sermons like that where they go into great deal about the physical suffering of Jesus. Well, brothers and sisters, the physical suffering of Jesus is what many people have experienced over the course of many ages as the Romans did their... Uh, you know, brought justice that they see, saw fit, right? That's what many have experienced, right? And even though he was innocent, other innocent men have been crucified and experienced the physical sufferings, but Jesus experienced the very wrath of God on the cross. He experienced that breach that wasn't a breach. I don't know how to describe it, right? That, that forsakenness by his Father and yet they're one. Right? But there, that's what he suffered, and why did he have to suffer that? Because he became the curse, because he became sin. And why, why did he have to become the curse and become sin? Like that scapegoat, right? With the, all, the, all the sins of Israel, you know, confessed to it and laid upon it. Why did Jesus have to do that? The, the answer is, is you sinned against a holy God. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what glory that Jesus would humble himself, being co-eternal with the Father, 
and submit himself to taking on human flesh so that he might represent us and dying on the cross as your sin. He had you in mind as he was dying. He knew about your sins, your specific sins. And so the fact that we now in Jesus can come to the Father with familiarity, we can ask him for whatever our heart desires and he will give us those things, right? He won't give us, we ask for bread, he's not going to give us a stone. He, he treats us so kindly. He sees us as righteous, right? He's given us a future. He's given us hope. He's given us, he's, he's given us eternal life in Jesus Christ, And it's all because Jesus died on a Friday in Israel 2,000 years ago in time for specific individuals. So if your faith is in Jesus Christ, you have riches. You have unbelievable riches in him. You may suffer a lot in this life, and God may call you to go through difficult things, but you can hold your head high knowing that you are counted among the Israel of God. And you have been, you have been sanctified by a perfect sacrifice, the God-man Jesus Christ. Never forget what the access costs, the death of God's Son. And that is why God will forever remain angry with those who reject such a precious gift. And such is why we will still work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But such is why we can have great confidence, full assurance, pure hearts, clean hands, a conscience clean before God, right? Because of the magnitude of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ being unimaginably big. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, was sacrificed, and salvation is not merely possible, it is is accomplished. He said it is finished. I want to point out one other thing that stood out to me in this text as we, as we read it earlier. This is Luke 23 at 44. Did you notice what happened to the crowds when Jesus died? At least Luke recounts this. And all the crowds who came together for the spectacle you know, they had been the ones there earlier shouting, crucify, crucify, right? We don't, we, we, can't, we can't kill him, but you can. Would you please do that for us, right? Crucify him. They're the ones that said that, and, they, and, it, and, and so Luke says, in the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, the darkness of the skies, the rending of the rocks, the tearing of the veil, when they saw all that was going on, they left there beating their breasts, crying out, beating their breasts. 
they realized that this was, this, was, this was not an ordinary thing that was going on here. They were beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance seeing these things. So all those women that were there, all the, all the apostles are gone, long gone. John's near. But they're standing looking on. But it just, it stands out to me that they're beating their breasts. And I, I believe that, that many of those saw this spectacle. They saw the rending of the veil and their eyes became opened and they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of those who were beating their breasts as they walked away. From saying, crucify him, crucify him, to grieving his death outwardly by beating the breast. They came to faith in Jesus Christ. And so as you think about the cross tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ, go from here beating your breast and crying out for mercy. And he will be merciful to you. He will be merciful to you. He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the incredible gift of his sacrifice. His death, his shed blood, his broken body, his bearing of your wrath that, that gloriously perfect and justified wrath. We thank you that he took it upon his shoulders, that he was crushed, and not just crushed, but crushed for our iniquities. And now we can just cry out, Abba, Father. Now we can come into your presence with boldness. Now we forever, forever have an intercessor at your right hand. Oh, Lord, you have been incredibly merciful to us because our sins are as high as the mountains. And yet you've removed all of them in Jesus Christ. And we know that his sacrifice is perfect. And it truly atones. And it did it once for all. For all ages. Thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.